searching for a savior. And uh, it's been an interesting couple of years that we've been in. Uh, we're watching, you know, the squeeze, uh, the, the heat kind of turn back up. Uh, just with every day that's going by, there's, there's uh, pressure and stresses and things going on in our world around us. And then, of course, just in general, the Christmas season uh, can, if we let it, add a hecticness to our lives. Um, you know, it's celebrated in so many different ways, right? Uh, whether you're hosting people, how many are hosting uh, this year? having people come? How many are doing cooking and all that? How many are the recipients of that and you're going somewhere and you're going to be joining? Uh, how many are going into hiding and putting the shades down? Yeah? Okay. So all different ways that we celebrate. Uh, hopefully we're done with our Christmas shopping. I won't put you on the spot and have you raise your hand if you're not quite done yet, but hopefully that's all done because we're here. Uh, but you, you know, it's interesting. The 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 folks that study culture, the, the sociologists and, you know, all of those ologists, they talk about here in our nation, they say that we're in a post-Christian America, post-modern, you know, is another term that's used for it. And, you know, it's interesting, there's not a diminishment of people searching. There's not a diminishment of spiritual hunger. But it's not in vogue right now uh, to be, uh, you know, pursuing church and pursuing Christian culture. There's a lot that's under attack uh, in, in our culture. But that doesn't mean any less that there's a lack of spiritual hunger in our world around us. And I want to zero in just for a few minutes here tonight. And I want to, I didn't say so yet. I want to welcome everybody who's watching on live stream. We're uh, so glad that you've joined us as well. Uh, we know that there are those that are seeking, those that are searching, those that are hungry. And uh, in light of, you know, that truth, let's go back to the first Christmas because uh, among the characters that we see show up at Christmas time, we do see some folks that are very much hungering after God. There is a spiritual hunger in their lives. How many of you either seen the bumper sticker or the billboard or heard it said or said it yourself, wise men still seek him? Right, that's probably familiar for most of us. So we're going to talk about the wise men. Uh, we could call them the, the magi. Uh, they've been called the three kings, even though the Bible doesn't say there was three of them. Uh, just because they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that translated into, well, you must need at least one guy to carry each gift, right? And, and don't you love the awesome theological depth that went into that one, right? But uh, because of who they were, they were seekers of, uh, of truth. They were really, going back to the first Christmas, the original seekers of truth. Uh, they were looking for a savior, searching for uh, what these signs in the heavens that they saw, the star that they were following, what it all meant. So who were these mysterious men from the east, these wise men? We actually know less about them than any of the other characters that are in the Bible narrative of the birth of Christ. Uh, they were given the term magi in the Bible, and, and that really, it, it kind of uh, pulls together several different thoughts. A combination of astronomer, scientist, doctor, philosopher. All of those things kind of wrapped up in the term magi and these, these wise men that we're talking about here. They were well-educated. They were also very wealthy. 
And the Bible only tells us that they came from the east. We don't know where in the east. They could have come from Persia. They could have come from India. They could have come from China. We really don't know where they came from. But we do know that they had to cross all that Middle Eastern desert. And that trip probably took four to six months to get to Israel. How many know this wasn't like fly-by-night casual searching and seeking, right? The, the, these folks were pretty hardcore about it. And uh, we don't know how many of the wise men there were. Like I said earlier, you know, Hallmark has kind of broken it down to three. But it could have been as many as a dozen. And oftentimes they would travel together in caravans. That is something that we know about them historically. So they would have, in essence, been kind of like a small army because they were so wealthy. And again, if they're carrying all of this wealth with them to bring to this savior that they're looking for. We know they had some muscle with them for sure, right? Because of bandits and all the harm that could have been along the way. So a little bit of conjecture, we don't exactly know, but what we do know is what they did. And, and, and from what they did, I just want to reflect on three thoughts about the wise men that caused them to find God. So thought, uh, uh, thought number one, they sought the truth. They were hungry for the truth. And if we want to find God today, we have to be seekers of the truth. We have to go after it. We have to take it seriously. Now, it's very interesting for us here today, and again, part of what makes our postmodern culture what it is, is the approach to truth. I can remember as a, as a new youth pastor uh, in some of my training courses, uh, hearing from a guy, uh, his name is Josh McDowell, and he was a little bit of what you call an apologist, uh, which that doesn't mean that you're apologizing for anything in the faith that goes goes back to the, the Greek word for give a defense. You know, uh, and back in the early church, the brand new church, when, when there was massive persecution against the Christians, uh, this ministry of being an apologist was very, very important because the church was so misunderstood that those that were the apologists would stand up and they would go to the skeptic and the critic and the unbeliever and they would share uh, from, from a rational understanding uh, what what it was to, uh, like, like what Christianity was, what it wasn't, but from somebody who was looking from the outside. You know, it, it wasn't enough to say the scriptures say this and the scriptures say that. The apologists would have to say, well, let's take a look at this in light of reason. Because although Christianity requires faith, uh, it actually requires more faith to not buy into the, the worldview and the philosophy that is Christianity. It takes more faith to buy into any other one that's out there. How many know that to be true? Can you say amen? So, so you know, the understanding of truth, Josh McDowell was saying, you know, uh, we as a nation, we were founded with a biblical understanding that truth is out there to be discovered. You unearth truth, you discover it, you dig it up, you pursue it, you find it, you explore for it, and it's there, concrete, black and white. But we have moved into postmodern thought that says, no, truth is what you create it to be. Truth is what you determine it is. And you literally can have two things that completely contradict each other, and, and what really pulls it all together in a nice little bow is political correctness that says the one no-no is that I can't say that my truth is right and your truth is wrong. So again, it, it, what it does is it creates a whole lot of confusion, right? It, it creates a scenario that really goes back to something that we see back in the book of Judges. It says several times, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, 
right? And, and when Jesus came on the scene and, and he, he would look at the people, he would say, you know, scattered like, like sheep without a shepherd. You know, that's, that's the confusion that comes when there's not truth, when there's a, a misunderstanding of truth. So the wise men had this grasp that truth was something for them to, to seek after and to find. Now, there's a big difference between seekers and speculators. Uh, there are far more speculators in the world than there are seekers. Speculators are people who will say, well, I think God is like... And, and, and they'll, they'll fill that in. My idea of God is, you know, and you go on and fill that in. I imagine God to be, you know, in all these different things. The only problem is God tells us a couple of things. He says, number one, we're not going to be able to figure out who he is, what he's like. Right? His ways are higher than ours or his thoughts are higher and different than ours. But God says, don't worry. Even though you can't figure it out on your own, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you what I'm like. So speculators will just simply say, well, here's what I personally think about this. Here's, here's my opinion. Here's what I come up with, my, my conjecture. Uh, and here's the thing, right? Because a person thinks something doesn't make, it, doesn't make it true. Just because I think something, just because I believe something doesn't make it true. So speculators will guess. And your guess is as good as mine uh, when, when we're just operating from that realm. But seekers are those who are diligently searching for the truth. They search for answers. They just don't make assumptions. And that's what these wise men were. And you know, for us as New Testament believers... The Bible tells us to be seekers of truth, tells us to be lovers of the truth, tells us to study diligently so that we could rightly divide, so we could rightly uh, work with God's word of truth. And so these wise men, they were seekers of truth. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So notice from this verse, there's three things that a genuine seeker of truth is going to do. First, they were observant of what was going on in the world around them, right? They were paying attention to what was going on in the world. They noticed this star, and it was something that, what, that was different from before. Second, they asked questions. How many know that as a believer, there's nothing sinful uh, about asking questions, it's how you work your faith out. It's how you figure it out. It's how you connect the dots. If there's things that we don't understand, if there's things that we haven't studied and we don't know yet, there's a difference between a scornful, doubtful attitude and saying, I want to ask so that I can understand. So seekers will ask questions. They said, what do you think this means? And they started asking around. What does this sign mean? Where is it? Where do we go? And then the third thing is they did whatever it took to find the answer. They, they assembled this small caravan, this small army of people, and, and, you know, traveled four to six months to get to the answer of what this was. You know, it, it's pretty ironic. Jesus was uh, born uh, within six miles, six miles of the religious center of the world at the time. Bethlehem was just about six miles away from Jerusalem. And not one of the religious leaders 
traveled that six miles to see what would be going on uh, in Bethlehem to try to track that down to see what was going on. Amazing, right? All of the religious scholarship in the world was concentrated there, but nobody uh, had the, the, the heart of a seeker to go after the truth. These guys uh, that show up, they're not even believers. They're basically pagans from foreign lands, but they're genuine seekers. And you know what? You know what? They found Jesus. They, they found him. So uh, what a contrast to the religious leaders. Uh, you, you know, six months to get there versus living six miles away and not moving a muscle. And so, you know, people will say, I want to know the truth, but sometimes allow busyness to get in the way of being in pursuit of the answers. Right, being a diligent seeker of truth is what God wants us to be. And you know, this, this topic of truth, we could, we could just bore down on this because, you know, the Bible says that in these last days that, you know, uh, that the people will have itching ears, you know, wanting to hear things that are, that are pleasing to them. Uh, it, it talks about forsaking sound doctrine. It talks about it being possible for even the very elect to be deceived, you know, and, and how does all of that come into, into play? How does that all come into being if we lose a heart for being seekers of the truth? And of course, in all of that, right, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Can you say amen tracking so far? So the good news is while we're searching for God, God is searching for us. Amen. That's what Christmas is all about. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What a great promise we get from scripture. And God loves people who genuinely want to know him. Uh, he wants us to trust him and he wants us to follow him and he wants to have relationship with us. That's what we celebrate here at Christmas time. So being a seeker of truth, that's real important. First thought from the wise men. Second one is they experienced the joy of Christmas. Now joy isn't something that we can manufacture. Joy isn't something that, that we can just sort of uh, fake it till we make it. You know, but the good news is everyone who knows Christ as Lord and Savior, that means that, that the Lord is dwelling, living in our hearts. The one who brings unspeakable joy is dwelling in our hearts. And so rather than, than thinking of joy as an emotional thing, let's think of joy as a fruit of the Spirit. And the beautiful thing, happiness comes and goes based on conditions. Joy uh, is, is joy in God irregardless, uh, or regardless of whatever else is going on in our lives, right? That's why Paul and Silas could be in chains and just be worshiping God. That's when, when the believers are being persecuted, they're full of joy. That, that, that wasn't putting on airs. That was this fruit of knowing God pouring out of their lives. And, and these, these wise men, they experienced the joy of finding the Savior, so God has already taken the first step wanting us to come to know him and he wants to help us to get to know him more and more. And he gives directions to find him. In the wise men's case, the directions were a star, uh, a very special star, not just something normal. It was something out of the blue. Uh, and a lot of people say maybe it was a comet or, or, or something, you know, along those lines. But the Bible says that it, it led them from the east directly to Jerusalem, and then it settled right over the home where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were. Uh, there's never been a star like that since then. 
that, that's had that, that kind of interesting uh, dynamic to it. But God often does this all throughout history. He's giving directions for us to find him and for us to know him, right? We can read about it all through the word of God, different kinds of instruments to get people's attention. Maybe uh, a burning bush, you know, a Red Sea, bringing down manna from heaven, uh, a pillar of fire by night or a cloud by day. He always will reward genuine seekers with, with uh, tips and points along the way, a travel guide for us to know him more. You know, and here in the New Testament, we have his word. That's why, you know, the commission of the New Testament church is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and share this good news. God is saying, I have brought the solution. I love you. I want to know you. Your sins are forgiven. Now go shout to the world so the world has directions on how to find their way to the cross and to forgiveness and to eternal life with God. Amen? So uh, God has brought people across your path in order to be a guide. So the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, but it may be a book, it may be a church, it may be a believer, it might be somebody that's crossed your path. Maybe it's a believing wife or husband who, who is a believer, neighbor or friend, somebody at work, maybe even a child that you've just seen that's, that's you know, loved the Lord and it's been a testimony uh, to God being there. And there, there's three possible reactions when God puts something in our life as a guide toward him, whether it's the preaching of the word, whether it's the testimony of another believer, whether it's some other unique way. We can react like Herod, uh, which was a reaction in fear. He was afraid of what God was doing. Uh, then we could be like the religious leaders. They were just indifferent, skeptical, and apathetic. You know, whereas Herod was angry, the religious leaders, eh, whatever. And then we could react like the wise men. They celebrated and they experienced the joy of being led by God. Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I mean, they, they look, God is showing us something. God's at work in our lives. And, and that awareness and that understanding filled their hearts with joy. Another translation says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And the Greek there literally means to, like to jump up and down with joy. You know, it wasn't like, we're happy, yay. You know, it, it was like, you know, an enthusiastic joy. He's near and he wants to lead us. That is something that, that uh, can fill our hearts with joy when we really get our hearts around it. And uh, so we have some good news here at this Christmas time on this Christmas Eve service. Luke, 10 verse, uh, Luke 2 verse 10. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And so why is this such good news? You know, what does it mean, this word salvation? You, you know, salvation has come because of Jesus. Saved from what? What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to have Christ as our Savior? Well, God's ultimate Christmas gift to us, it's Jesus Christ. And in that, there are three wonderful things that he gives. And actually, I, the, the whole message this last Sunday was on these three gifts that we get at Christmas time. But I'll just review for us. God says, I want to forgive your sins and everything that you've done wrong in the past and wash it all away. And then he says, and I want to give you a purpose and power to live today. 
And then the third thing he gives in salvation, I want to give you security of knowing that you have a home in heaven and that it's there for you when you pass from this life into the next. Can't get any better of a Christmas gift than that, right? Anything that we get that's physical, tangible, it's going to wear out, it's going to break, it's going to, you know, uh, be out of style, whatever we want to say. This, this gift that we have from God at Christmas, which is why we, we exchange gifts with each other, takes care of our past, our present, and our future. How many would say that's a pretty good deal? Amen? All right, so uh, John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So let me just ask us here on Christmas Eve, uh, are you experiencing life to the fullest? Many people don't live, they exist. God hasn't called us just to exist, just to survive, just to get by. So many don't enjoy life. Even, even Christians, they just endure it. This Christmas, God uh, invites us to not only seek the truth, but to experience the joy. You know, take these things that we're looking at and really get our heart around it. Like, man, my sins really are forgiven. Man, nothing can snatch me out of God's hands. He's got purpose for my life. Oh, and he's got power so that I can live and face today. And then my future, he holds in his hands. And I don't have to worry about eternity. I don't have to worry about the ultimate worry of all of humanity. I don't have to worry about death. Because for the believer, there is, there is no death. Right? Paul said to be absent from this body is to be present with Christ. And that's what you call the win-win. Right? It can't get better than that. All right, quickly, I'm going to wrap up with this. Uh, the third thought about the wise men. They recognized the gift so, so uh, they, they were seekers of the truth. They experienced the joy of knowing God, of, of what God was doing, the way God was leading them. And then they recognized the gift that was in front of them. They, they recognized who this baby really was. What makes this baby any different from any other baby? Hundreds of other babies were probably born around the world that night, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 plus years ago. But the Bible says he was no mere baby. He was God. God come to earth in human form so that we could get to know him, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be restored back to relationship with God, so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our sin, but that we could be forgiven. And if Jesus had not come to earth, uh, none of that would be on the table there for us. And those things happen because God gave us Jesus. It's really powerful when we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, just talking about the, the humility of God in this miracle that we celebrate at Christmas time. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. And he became a baby. Let himself be raised by a mom and a dad. Doesn't that just blow your mind? Wow. What a gift. This gift has been given to the whole world. 
In order to enjoy a gift, we have to be able to do two things. We have to recognize the gift and we have to receive the gift. And again, Herod recognized the gift, but he didn't receive it. The religious leaders didn't recognize, didn't receive. The wise men recognized the gift and received it. Have you ever been given a gift that you received it, but you didn't receive it? Collected dust somewhere? Amen. May we not do that with what God has given us, what the Father has given us in Jesus. In Matthew 2.11, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So we know that they recognized him as God because they fell down with awe. The Bible says they fell down and they worshipped him. Uh, Sincere investigation by the wise men turned into sacrifice and adoration by the wise men. They worshipped. And and it says they brought gifts. These gifts are kind of cool when we think about, you, you know, God's plan what God, you know, what was prophesied about Jesus, what he did as he lived and died and rose from the dead. First, they brought him gold. Uh, that's a gift you always give to kings. That's a gift for royalty. Uh, and it was the most precious metal at the time. And then there was frankincense, which is a very rare, very expensive incense made from the bark of a tree in Arabia. And frankincense was used to burn in the temple to worship God. So we have gift to a king, a gift used in worship. And then how about myrrh? It's really, really uh, mind-blowing. Myrrh is the spice in the ancient world that they used to embalm those who had died. So right there, whether, whether the wise men recognized what they were doing or not, how many know from God's calling and God's hand, that was not an accident. Right there at the birth of Jesus, he was born to die for you and I. And it's laid out right there. The, these, these three pagans from a faraway land. You know, and, and what they show us at Christmas time, Jesus didn't come to die for the religious. Right? What, what I mean by that is religion doesn't save anybody anyway. But I love the picture. Wise pagans show up at the birth of Christ and bow and worship him. Man, shepherds who were the lowly, lowliest in society show up in the manger and they bow down and they worship him. The, the God who does all things well says, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one, the only one who can do what needs to be done for humanity is going to enter earth in this, such this way as a baby. So there will be shepherds there. So nobody thinks that because he's royal, because of his his majesty, that anybody would be excluded from this, right? Because we know in our natural world, oftentimes the more power, the more wealth, people can get snooty, people can get haughty and proud and there's inner circle and, and exclusivity and all of that. The Lord made sure that was not the picture. And then even, you know, the picture of this, this incredible, it was called the mystery of the Gentiles as the gospel was being unfolded. I mean, literally back in Genesis chapter 3, where, where the Lord says to the serpent, there's one coming. He's going to crush your head, devil. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your headship. 
And that, that was speaking of the cross. And then all the way through, the prophets. And I think there's 300 some odd prophecies uh, talking about Messiah that are all beautifully, perfectly fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. But the mystery of the Gentile church was hidden in Christ. Not revealed un, in, until things unfold that we read about in the book of Acts. That, that it was going to be the Jewish people, God's people, as they accept Jesus as Messiah. And the Gentiles who will now come and accept Jesus as Messiah and together in this New Testament, the one new man in Christ Jesus. This incredible picture. And it's all laid out for us. It's all, it's all constructed for us here back in the birth of Jesus. And man, I'm getting excited. Anybody else saying, wow, God, you do all things well, right? So as we get ready to close here tonight, you know, looking at these truths, you know, what is the spirit of Christmas? We hear that so many times, the spirit of Christmas, the spirit of the season. We might say it's giving, it's receiving, goodwill toward men, all of these things. That's part of it. But the ultimate of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas is worship. Worship King Jesus. And when we realize in awe that God came to earth as a human being, it becomes mind-boggling for us as we just pause on these things just for a few minutes like we're doing tonight. This night that happened that we're celebrating here was unlike any other night that had happened up to that point in the history of mankind and unlike any other that will come after that. The entrance of the Savior of all the world into the world. So, hey, as we close here tonight, let me ask you a question. What are you searching for? Man, we've been through it this last couple of years. I don't know about you, but it's been more than a time or two while I, where I've felt a little bit spun around. How many know the expression, getting your bell rung? Right? There's been times in this last couple of years. What is it that you are searching for in this Christmas season? You know, oftentimes people will say, well, I just, I want happiness, other people will say, I, I just want to feel loved. Many, many others will say, I, I want to feel like my life counts, that there's meaning to all of this. I want to know why I'm here, some might say. I want to feel good about life, the life that I'm living. Do you know that belief all, uh, beneath all those desires that we as people have, you know, it's ultimately a deeper one that's underlying all of that. And maybe we didn't even realize it. There's a hunger for God underneath it all. There might be some that would even say, maybe some listening, maybe, you know, some that, you know, we would share our faith with and say, there's no hunger for God here. But you want to know what? Underneath it, when people are hungering and chasing and running after this, that, and the other thing, there's an underlying hunger for God. How can I say that? How can I know that? Because every single one of us as human beings, there is a God-shaped hole in every one of our hearts. We've been created in his image, and we have been created to know him. I want to challenge us with that thought here tonight, because we can have professed Jesus as Lord. We can be good, good noodle churchgoers, you know, doing our thing, moving along, but may we not lose sight of, man, first and foremost, I've been created to know him, to worship him, that God-shaped hole in my heart that I'm living in relationship so that stays full as I walk with him. We were made by him to know him and to be known by him. Can you say amen? amen. So, hey, I'm going to ask you now as we get ready to close the service, if you want, you can turn on your, your uh, candle here. 
And we are so technologically advanced that they're flickering as if it was a real candle flame. And so we're just gonna be led by the worship team, but I I just wanna invite us, just wanna lead us in a simple prayer. Man, has, has it gotten confusing for anybody? Have you looked at the world? You know, I have seen a lot of believers look at the world and just say, you know what? Thank you very much. I'll just check out of all of that. I'll just get in my bubble. Jesus, come quickly. Boy, that's so tempting. But you know what? He's, he's called us to be a light. He told us the world was going to get darker. He told us that confusion and, and deceit and all of these things were going to be a part of the landscape in these last days. But all the more so that he would say to his people, know me, hunger for me, experience my joy, know the gift, receive the gift, walk in relationship, and we'll never get off course. We'll be able to discern the truth. We'll be able to know what's God. We'll be able to know what's not God in times that are, that are shaky and confusing. And if there's anybody that's here tonight and you'd say, well, I don't have a relationship with God. You know what? Let's, let, let me challenge this. Let's not do another Christmas leaving out the very thing that it's all about. When I came to Christ at 19, it was, I have no idea what tomorrow's gonna look like. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to walk with you. I don't know what living as a Christian looks like. All I know is that I believe and I know I need you. And it started there. And then it, just like for anybody else in the room, I know you can testify, just walk in with him one day at a time through every season, through the valleys, through the peaks, through all the different stuff. So Father, we are so grateful at this Christmas time for the miracle that we're celebrating. And Lord, as we spent some time looking at the wise men tonight, we see lessons that we can take away. We see your plan unfolded through their lives, through what they did, through the account of of their coming to Jesus. And so, Lord, truth, let us be seekers of the truth. Lord, you told us in your word that men loved the darkness rather than the light. Help us to love the light. Help us to hunger for you, hunger for the light. Lord, if we're here today and we don't know you, may may we not leave without making Christ Lord. And for every one of us, may we experience the joy unspeakable that's not based on what's going on in our world. Lord, I pray for every believer in this room who is weary, every believer in this room where grief has overshadowed joy. God, I ask tonight that joy would spring forth in Jesus' name. Lord, finally, I just ask that we would live every day, every day. Lord God, every single day, chasing your heart, walking with you, pursuing your will, enjoying your goodness. And so, Father, as we just sing this closing beautiful carol. Pray that you'd minister to hearts around this room. In Jesus' name, amen.